Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for the the great privilege that you've given us to, to come and to worship you this morning. We pray, God, that as we worship you, that you would be glorified in our listening, that we would not be distracted or deterred, Lord, from hearing your word, from listening intently to your word, from taking notes so that we can remember your word, from obeying your word, God. Let this time of the word being preached be a time also where we worship you in our hearing. God, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, and minds to understand. And God, I decrease that you may increase, that become less, that you can become more. I pray, God, in all that we do this morning, that you would be high and exalted and lifted up. And that your word, Father, would reign supreme over all that we believe and all that we think, that we would bow before your word. We thank you for all of this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, good morning. Thank you for joining us on this Lord's Day. Today we are going to continue our exposition of the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John. And as we noted last time, when we were in the Gospel of John, which is two weeks ago, the first 11 chapters of the Gospel of John record the ministry of Jesus. And those first 11 chapters encompass three years. As we embark upon the remaining ten chapters of the Gospel of John, we will, we will be given a, a look into the final week of the life of Christ. So the first eleven chapters encompass three years. The next ten chapters encompass one week. The last time we were together in the Gospel of John, we looked at this tremendous act of worship and devotion by one of the disciples of Christ, Mary. She had witnessed the mighty power of the Lord Jesus Christ as he displayed his power over death when he raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus was not just dead. Lazarus was dead for four days, something that people had had never seen before. Now, there had been resurrections in the Bible before the resurrection of Lazarus. In 1 Kings 17, Elijah raised the son of a widow from Zarephath from the dead. In 2 Kings, Elisha raised the son of the Shinnamite woman from the dead. And in Second Kings also, a man was raised from the dead, listen to this, when his body touched the bones of the dead prophet Elisha. But no one had ever seen of or heard of a man being dead four days and then being called up from the grave until the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus comes onto the scene and he is turning water into wine. He is healing the sick, multiplying food to feed the multitude, commanding the wind and the waves, giving sight to to the blind, and raising men from the dead. Nothing like this had ever been seen, not only in all of Israel, but in all of the world. The raising of Lazarus was the final miracle of Jesus besides the, the ear of the Roman soldier that was hacked off by Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. But this was the last and final great miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ, raising a man who had been dead in the grave for four days. 
And because of this great sign and because of this great miracle, the popularity of Jesus had grown to an all-time high. This was the eternal plan of God. And the popularity of Christ was also the eternal plan of God. And it was planned so that it would happen or crescendo at this particular time. What was this particular time? John eleven fifty five tells us that now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And many went up from the country to Jerusalem or went up to the country of Jerusalem to purify themselves. The Jewish historian Josephus informs us that up to three million people would be flocking to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Three million people. How many people are there in Bakersfield? Not even 500,000. You can imagine three million people. All of Los Angeles comes to an area as big as Bakersfield. During the previous Passovers now, Jesus had a, a particular way of approaching the Passover. He laid low. He did not allow himself to be seen. He slipped through crowds. He attended the Passover unnoticed. He chose not to, listen, make a spectacle of himself. Why? Because it was not his hour. His hour had not yet come. But this Passover celebration is much different. Because now it is his hour. Now the time had come. Now the Lord Jesus Christ was going to put himself on display. And he starts by, there's a lot of things building up to that, but he, he, the big thing that he does to put himself on display is raise a man who had been dead for four days. The Bible tells us in John 12, 27, that Jesus says, my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Of course, we know that there were a number of events that led up to this hour. There was the, the cleansing of the temple, of the money changers, to the confrontation that Jesus constantly had with the religious leaders. But perhaps there was no other great event or no other great miracle or sign that, that so ruffled the feathers of the religious leaders than the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Because... The raising of Lazarus, because of the raising of Lazarus, John 12, 45, the Bible says, Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he had did, believed in him. So because of this work of raising Lazarus from the dead, many people are coming to Jesus and they are believing in him. And now, no doubt, word about this miracle spread just as quickly and as widely as giving sight to a man who has been born blind. His name began to spread. His popularity and mystique began to grow. And the hatred of the religious leaders also grew more intense. They met together at a council and asked themselves in John eleven forty seven, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. They knew that the signs were from God. They could not deny that. But it was not the signs they were concerned with. They were not even concerned with the fact that the signs being performed by this man pointed to the fact that this man was more than a man. They weren't concerned with that. Rather, they were more concerned with something else. Verse 48 of chapter 11 says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. The religious leaders were concerned with protecting their place of prominence among the people of Israel. They cared not that the eyes of the blind were healed. They cared not that the sick were made well. 
And they did not even care that a dead man was raised from the dead. This would cause all of us to be in awe as it has. This causes all of us to, to praise him and to worship him as we should. But rather than worship him, rather than praise him, rather than acknowledge his messianic uh, nature, who he is, they have a plot. And the plot is to kill him. The plan is to kill the one who threatened their place of prominence. They saw that Christ was the one who rightfully deserved to sit in their place of honor. But rather than budge from the place of honor that they sat in and give it to him, they plotted to kill the king. Verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. But, but not yet. Why? Because the Passover is at hand. It's time for celebration. Putting, to G- putting Jesus to death at this time of worship and celebration, it would be bad for the community. It would kind of ruin the party of Passover. And it would not fit into their timetable. They were going to kill Jesus. They had a, a plan for that. But not yet. Let's let the Passover pass. And then once everyone has gone back to their own country, then we'll put him to death. It fit perfectly into their timetable. But God has another timetable. And the way that Jesus was doing all, everything that, they, what, that he was doing was fitting perfectly into the eternal plan of God. Their plans were going to be held out or carried out. And although they were their plans, they were fitting into the perfect timetable of God. The Passover was at hand and God was orchestrating all of these things under his providential plan. The Passover will come. And the lamb will be slain, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God will carry out his plan and bring many sons and daughters into his kingdom. This morning, we are blessed to see how the plan of God unfolds. With that said, let's stand for the reading of God's word. John chapter 12, verses 9 through 19. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd had come to the feast, uh, to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a colt, on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him. When he called Lazarus out from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to him was that they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. You may be seated this morning. This morning we're going to deal with three points that I find Evident within these 10 verses. Number one, erasing 
the evidence. If you're taking notes, number one, erasing the evidence. The religious leaders have a plan. They have planned to kill Jesus. But they soon realize that their, their, their problem is not just with Jesus. Jesus is not only their biggest issue. On the Passover day, there will be some three million people that will be there to celebrate. And we can assume that most of them were aware of Jesus. And many of them, if not most, were consumed with this man, Jesus. The one who had healed the sick, multiplied food, and healed a man who had been dead for four days. But people were, were not also flocking, were not only flocking to see Jesus. Verse 4 says, when the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There have been many scam artists who have written books in recent years. The, their scam is just as easy as their audience who have bought the lie that they have died, gone to heaven, and come back to take your money. Their tales are filled with descriptions of heaven that are often void of the heaven that we see described for us in the scriptures. And these so-called Christian communities, these so-called Christian churches, flock to hear the stories of these people who have died and come back from heaven. Flock to hear and buy their books of people who have died and gone to heaven. Interestingly enough, they have apparently been given the freedom to speak of all the wonders of heaven without any reservation. While the Apostle Paul, the, the writer of two-thirds of, the Holy, of the, the Holy Scriptures, was not given permission to give an account of what he heard and what he saw in heaven. 2 Corinthians 12.2, uh, Paul says, I know a man who in Christ... Fourteen years ago was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know a man who was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that could not be told, which a man may not utter. Paul was taken up into paradise and could not utter what he saw. He could not even speak of it. And yet there are those who say they have been to heaven and come back. And we are buying their stories. They write books and they are scheduled to keep telling their fables so much that they could retire off of all the money that they are getting from us. Believers in their tales. Now, if people today are flocking to churches in order to hear those fables, can you imagine the crowds that are coming to see Lazarus? If you can imagine how many people are attending these churches to hear heaven is for real, or to hear someone go and tell, them, tell you about their experience of heaven, can you imagine the people looking for, searching for, and clamoring for Lazarus? There's the man who Jesus, all he said was Lazarus, here, outside. And then he comes out with his wrappings. I tell you, the man was dead, and Jesus brought him back from the dead. Can you imagine the amazement of the people? There is no, no, no telling how, how popular that, must, that man must have been. There he is. And, and just wanting to touch him. You are dead. Just wanting to see him. That's the man that was dead. Four days. There's no record of Lazarus describing where he was during his death. 
or what it felt like to come back from the dead. But the story that Lazarus had was much like the story of the blind man. And it's much like the story that you and I have. I once was blind, but now I see. There is Lazarus. Lazarus, tell us your story. I was sick and I died. And Jesus brought me back from the dead. This is your testimony when you are sharing the gospel, when you're sharing your your life. There have been many times when people have asked me to share how I came to Christ. And I've been working on how to explain that testimony while also explaining the gospel at the same time. I was raised in church with a knowledge of God and a fear of hell. Even though I was raised in church, I was born in sin. And it was not until I was hit by a drunk driver on my way home, an accident that should have taken my life, that I realized that I should have died and I would have eternally been separated from God in hell. God used the accident to convict me of my sin. By his grace, he gave me faith to repent and trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And I have lost all things for the sake of Christ. All things are counted as a loss and nothing, nothing comes close To knowing Christ and being found in Him. This is my testimony. This is your testimony. And it's the testimony of all of those who have come to faith in Christ alone for their salvation. Notice, it's not filled about how bad I was. Like, as if I was to glorify all the bad things I did. It also does not glorify my goodness. Rather... It is glorifying the righteousness of God in the place of my unrighteousness. It is glorifying Christ and His work of redemption in saving me, a slave to sin. That is your approach when you share what God has done for you. That yes, I was once lost in sin. And you might not have a a dramatic story to tell like mine, but our background is the same. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity and we needed saving from our sin. And Christ did that when we did not deserve that. Brothers and sisters, we are like Lazarus. We are walking testimonies of the amazing grace of God upon the sinful dead. We are walking testimonies that he has come to our graves and called out our names and has given us life that we did not deserve. If you have not, I pray that you work on adding this kind of of presentation to your presentation of the gospel. It is not the gospel, but it commends the gospel because you are products of it. The question I have for you this morning is this. What kind of evidence can be found in your life, about your life, that you have been raised from death, death to life? Can they see you? And no, this is the man that was dead. This is the woman that was dead. Is it obvious? Is it plain? Or are you still dead? Can people tell? Is there clear, real evidence that you have been brought from life? You may say, well, I can tell. That's great. And that very may may well be true. But who else can tell? Here's another question for you. How was your Christmas? This year, what were your conversations like? Was it different than years past? 
What was your celebration like this year? Was there a different focus in who and what you were celebrating this year? How about the people close to you? Could they tell that there was something different about you this year as opposed to years past? Did you pass on certain things that in years past you would not pass on? Did you stay out of conversations this year that in years past you would be the leader of? Could they tell that you have been brought from death to life? I got a testimony from one of our sisters in our church, one of our beloved sisters, Doreen, who said that her final gift to her family, after she had passed out all of the tangible gifts, was that she was going to have them all gather around. And because she's grandma, they had to be quiet. And she was going to give them the best gift that they could ever receive. She was going to share with them the gospel. And I asked her, what was the result of that? What happened? What, what, what was the, the outcome? She said, well, there were some who said they needed to start coming to church. And there were others who said they needed to go back. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. How many of us would have the boldness to gather our family around and say, I've got one gift for you. And this gift is the gift that keeps on giving. It never stops. And you can pass on this gift. You can re-gift this gift. I will share with you the gospel. And that is a gift that will have eternal dividends. That you will not only be able to celebrate with them here, the advent of Christ, but eternally you will be able to celebrate with them the resurrection and eternal life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Should they repent and should they believe. And friends, praise God for the boldness of believers who are not ashamed of the gospel and who have been brought from death to life. But what about you? Could the effects of the saving work of Christ be seen in your life among those who know you the best? What did you smell of this year? Second Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance of death to death and to the other, a fragrance of life to life. What did you smell like this year? Was it Dolce and Gabbana? Was it cool water? For those of you from the 90s, that was your fragrance, don't lie. Or did you smell of Christ? Were you an aroma of life to those who are living? Or were you an aroma of death to those who were perishing because of Christ? The smell of Lazarus foretold the future of the religious leaders and it made them sick to their stomachs. Verse 10, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The religious leaders had to destroy the evidence. Lazarus is the evidence that Christ is who he says he is. That this man who was raised from, from, from death, him just living is evidence of Christ being the Christ. Lazarus, just like the man who was born blind and kicked out of the synagogue, was evidence that Christ is who he says he is. And you've got to destroy the evidence from the man born blind to Lazarus to you and I. We are evidences of the resurrection and life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the witness of Lazarus, many were coming to Christ and believing in him. And guess what they were doing after that? 
Christ or Lazarus was a witness. The people saw Lazarus and then they became witnesses. They were spreading the gospel. That this man gives life to dead people. So what do we got to do? Kill the one who gives the life and kill the ones who are evidences of his life. Of his power. Like any true disciple, Lazarus did not point to himself. That would be pointless. Because Lazarus did not make himself come back from the dead. He had nothing to do with it. Just like you and I. We had nothing to do with our new birth. It was this sovereign work of Christ, the gracious work of Christ. And we would be remiss to point to anything else or anyone else other than Christ. For He is the one who brought us back from the dead. What about you this morning? I remember reading a book called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel years ago. And there was this one quote that stood out to me. And it was this. If you were standing trial in a court of law because you had been accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you as guilty as charged? This was the case with Lazarus, and I pray that it is the case in your lives. Number two, the triumphal entry. Verse 12. The next day, the, the large crowd had come to the feast, who had come to the feast, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches or palm trees and went out to meet him. It should be palm trees or palm branches crying out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is, it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. The next day, as the Bible says in verse 12, most likely would mean Monday. The large crowd has been gathering for the Passover feast, and they've been hearing about Jesus. They've been hearing about the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are beginning to believe that Jesus is the one that they've been waiting for. They believe that this is and may be the long-awaited Messiah. Of course he is. But the people, listen, were expecting something from the Messiah that he did not come to deliver. Listen close now. Jesus is doing something that he has never done before. All the Passovers in the past, he has kept a low key. This Passover, Jesus is doing something completely different. He's putting himself on display. He's putting himself out front in front of everybody, and he is intentionally drawing attention to himself. As we said before, he usually did not draw attention to himself, but now his hour has come. And the crowd, over maybe three million people, are joining. And Jesus is putting himself on display in front of three million people. In their anticipation, in their elevated expectations, the people went to gather palm branches. As I mentioned the last time that we were in John, the palm branch was a very symbolic symbol. During the intertestamental period, uh, that 400 years of silence, you know between Malachi and Matthew, that white page, it represents 400 years of silence, meaning the prophets of God did not speak during that 400 years. And during this time, there was a war. And a man rose up by the name of Simon the Maccabee. And what he did was he recaptured Jerusalem from the Syrians. And in celebration, they grabbed palm branches and they waved them in celebration of their freedom. And they also began to hail Simon as their Messiah. But he was not. He died. And they looked for another Messiah. 
As a matter of fact, many messiahs rose up that the people believed was the one that they were waiting for. And then once again, here is another one riding in. And they believe that this man who has all of these, all of this power to heal the sick and to raise the dead, this may be the one. But what were they expecting from him? They were expecting a military leader, a political force that would destroy all of the opposition to Israel. One that would set himself up as the king and rule Israel with a power, with power and might. But when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he is not meeting their expectations. They enter and they believe this is the leader. And it's evident in their words, Hosanna, verse 13. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. The Hebrew word for Hosanna, it literally means help. Save us, I pray. They are calling out to Jesus as the helper or as their new king. It was well known as the the Hallel, which is sung every morning by the temple choir during festivals. And they cried out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, quoting uh, Psalm 118.26. And by using this quote, They confirmed that they believed that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, the one that they've been expecting. They hailed him as the king of Israel. The crowd believed Jesus was coming to end their oppression. The crowd expected Jesus to come and end their oppression. He's here to, to overthrow the Romans. Rome will be kicked out. We will be free. He will be our king. And we will be great once again like we were in the days of David. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 21, 9, Matthew records for us that they were calling out to him, listen, Hosanna to the son of David. They believed that Jesus was in the lineage of David and that he was going to carry on the throne of David and rule and reign like David did. But Christ did not come to overthrow political regimes. Christ did not come to set up an earthly kingdom ruled by the power of the sword. Quite the opposite was true. Christ did come to inaugurate his kingdom, the kingdom of God, in the hearts of those who repent and believe. Christ came to establish a kingdom ruled by the power of his word. Christ came to conquer sin so that we would no longer be slaves to it. Christ came to bring man back to God. Christ came to save us from us. But this is not what the people were expecting. And it's no wonder that in a few days, those who were crying out, Hosanna, come save us, will be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Because they were expecting Christ to come and overthrow Rome. Not Christ to come and overthrow sin. But when Christ enters Jerusalem, listen, he does not speak of health and wealth, of prosperity. He doesn't even give the people his plan for taking back the kingdom of Israel. Rather, he comes and he begins to speak about his death. Listen, in the next chapter, he comes and he starts washing the feet of people. This is not what a king does. He's he's lonely like a servant washing the feet of people. He comes and he speaks of betrayal. He comes and he speaks of love for enemies. 
The people don't want love for enemies. They want to destroy enemies. And Christ again comes and speaks about his death. The Messiah will die. This is not what we were expecting from the Messiah. This is not the Jesus that we thought was going to be the one to save us. The one who rides into Israel, Jerusalem on a donkey. He did not meet their expectations. What about you? What are you expecting from Jesus? Are you expecting a fixed marriage from Jesus? Are you expecting well-behaved kids from Jesus? Are you expecting a, a job that will always be secured with good pay and a great retirement plan from Jesus? What if you did not receive what you believe you're expecting from Jesus? Will you join the throngs of people that will soon be shouting, crucify him? Crucify him. Christ has not come to rescue your job. He's come to rescue your soul. Christ has not come to free you from the power of anything other than sin. Christ has come to unite you to God. The God who you were once an enemy of. And the Lord Jesus Christ enters into this crowd, humble, riding on a young donkey, the, the child of a donkey, a donkey's colt, being what was fulfilling, what was foretold by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 9. And I want you to think about this as he's riding in. And let's assume there's at least a million people. I can imagine that he looks into the faces of those people who at that moment were filled with joy and filled with cheer and filled with anticipation and hope. He could see the eyes that were filled with false expectations. He knew the hearts and the jubilation of those hearts that believed that their oppression had ended, their oppression of Rome. Can you imagine him riding in and as he's riding in on that colt seeing every single face Knowing they did not understand. But Christ knew. He knew that those who were hailing him as king would soon be crying out for his death. He knew that the love would soon be turned to hate and the admiration would soon be turned to shame and refuse. He knew the people would soon call out, listen, for the life of a notorious prisoner, Barabbas, to be spared in the place of the life of the only innocent man who ever walked the face of this earth. The Lord Jesus Christ. He knew all of these things. He knew every single heart. And while he knows every heart. And while he knows every mind. He knows each and every person who was at that time. Calling him king. That they'll soon be calling him a blasphemer. And in spite of all that he knew. He did not turn his donkey around. And ride out of Jerusalem. Instead he keeps on riding in. Who does that? Who, knowing all of the people will soon be against him and even his disciples will run from him, who continues to ride in and say, I will take the shame, I will take the abuse, I will take the death, I'll take the betrayal. He keeps on going. For those sinners, for we sinners, he did not turn around. He did not Go back. They're not worth it. We're not worth it. And he would have been justified to turn around. 
And we would have rightfully remained in our sin. But God shows his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't ever not be amazed by that. Don't never ever be not in awe of that for us. We who would have been right alongside the millions of people who were saying Hosanna and would have also been right alongside those people who were saying crucify him. We would have been there. You and I, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But while we were weak, while we were sinners, while there was nothing in in us, nothing good in us that would cause God to love us or give us grace that we did not deserve, there was nothing. I can imagine giving to someone who deserved something, but someone who deserved nothing. Pulling people out of a fire that started the fire. Rather than letting them burn. This, my brothers and sisters, is the epitome of grace. That he would come, that he would live, and that he, in spite of our sin, and in spite of all our, of our refusal of him, would ride on into Jerusalem, knowing that he is going to bring many sons and daughters to him through the resurrection of himself. Be in all, be in all of this grace, brothers and sisters. Be in all of this mercy that he showed to we who are undeserving. So that we can do what? That we can be like Lazarus and those who heard Lazarus' story. This is the man who brings people back from the dead. And that many would hear and believe. And finally, God forces the hands of the religious leader. Verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The Apostle John, he looks back and he's reminded of this moment. And then he's reminded of, wow, we didn't even understand what was happening at that time. But then later we understood what was going on. Later we understood the significance of all of these things. But at that time, we were lost. Did not even make any sense to us. It was later that the helper, the Holy Spirit... Helped his disciples to make sense of all of these things. Verse 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. I love that. They continued to bear witness. They may also be those who are crying out for his crucifixion. But then they also may be those who after he is raised. We were wrong. This is the man. This is the one that we've been waiting for. You also must know that Jesus Christ appeared to over 500 people at one time after his resurrection. And maybe some of these were, were there and present. He is the man. And they went from there to share the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea to all the ends of the earth. Extending even to Bakersfield, California. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done this sign. So, in conclusion, 
The Pharisees said to one another, you see that you're gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The result of Lazarus being raised from the dead was that people were being evangelized. People were being reached because of the great work of Christ. The religious leaders are now, they are now in panic mode. They want to kill Jesus after the Passover, but this thing is going too fast. They're not ready for all of this the way it's happening. And the death of Christ will come a lot sooner than they expected. People are coming to Christ. They are wanting to hear the testimony of Lazarus, and now they're hailing Christ as their Messiah. The Bible also says, I believe it's in the book of Luke, that the religious leaders come to Jesus and say, you've got to tell these people to stop saying these things. And Jesus' response is, if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. There will be no stopping to this. Can you imagine the imagery? That if they don't cry out, the rocks will cry out. The lowest of the low, a rock. It seemed to them that all these events were spiraling out of control. And understand that they did not know or, or they didn't know Jesus or what to expect from him either. They may have believed that he also was coming to set up a kingdom. And they certainly did not believe in a crucified Messiah. And if this crowd follow Jesus, it could lead to a revolt against Rome, and they would not only lose their positions, but they would lose their lives. John eleven fifty seven. they had orders that if anyone were to see or know where the whereabouts of Jesus uh, was, they were to report him immediately. And here's Jesus, riding on a donkey in front of everybody. You want him? Here he is. And nobody's doing anything to him. They're not reporting him. They're flocking to him. And nothing is being done. The people ignore the the religious leader's command. And for the time being, they are coming to Jesus. The Bible says that they say the whole world is coming after them. Those of you who have debates with people about for God so loved the world that every single person in the world will be saved. Use one of these passages. This will help you. Because obviously the entire world did not come after him. Instead, there were so many people coming after him that it seemed like the entire world was coming after him. It was an exaggeration statement, right? Now their plans to put him to to death, Jesus Christ, have been escalated. And now he must die. Brothers and sisters, is your life evidence that Christ is who he says he is? With or without Christ, or without your life, I would say, Jesus is the Messiah, with or without you. With or without your example, he is who he says he is. Christ is the Savior of the world from sin. But have you, like Lazarus, been called from the dead, and is there evidence that your life is evidence of his life? Are you a witness of the gospel? And what are you expecting from Christ? Has he already met your expectations by saving you? Or are you hoping for something else that he has not even promised you? We know that heaven is yet to be experienced and yet to be known in all of its splendor and all of its glory. And that the things that you will experience then are not yet experienced now. But there is a wonderful truth that you can share this morning that I have been saved from my sins. And that I will one day be with Christ in glory. 
And those of you this morning who are visiting, and there's not many of you, but if you are visiting and you have not repented of your sins, then I, I urge you this morning to trust in Christ, to place your faith in him. Don't let your heart get cold and resist his work in you. Trust in Christ for your salvation. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ and trust that all that he has given is available. Repentance of your sins, reconciliation with the Father, justification, present and future sanctification, which will one day produce glorification. If you have not repented of your sins and trusted in Christ, then this morning we want to encourage you to talk to some of the elders here at the church. Talk to the the greeters as they'll be greeting you on your way out. Ask them about the gospel. They'll be having gospel tracks with them. And you can say, hey, I, I know someone who needs the gospel. Do you have anything? They have some, some tracks and some information that they can give you so that you can pass it on. So that you could be like the crowd who went to see Lazarus and who continued to testify about Christ. Brothers and sisters, pass on this truth. It is for the glory of God. It is for the furthering of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand this morning.